Hello and welcome to the Interior Design Business, the monthly podcast produced by the Interior Design Community for the Interior Design Community. And today we're podcasting in front of a live audience of designers here in Glasgow. Welcome to Scotland and welcome to our wonderful audience. We're very privileged to be podcasting from the Charles Rennie Macintosh designed billiard room at the Willow on Socky Hall Street. First opened in 1903, these famous tea rooms are of huge importance to the city's design and cultural heritage. We're honoured to be here, so thank you Glasgow and thank you to our podcast sponsors, Trade at Houseology, for making this possible. My name is Jeff Hayward and I'm joined tonight by my co-presenter Susie Rumbold, Creative Director of Tasuta Interiors and past president of the British Institute of Interior Design. Together we will examine the secrets of successful sourcing. Yes, we like alliteration. Welcome to the interior design business. We have two very special guests with us for this episode. Firstly, we have Jim Hamilton, creative director of the internationally acclaimed consultancy Graven and his eponymously named Jim Hamilton Design Group. And BBC Scotland's Home of the Year judge, Anna Campbell-Jones from Habitus. Welcome to you both. Before we begin, Jim, can you tell us a bit about how you got started and about your career in design to date? Um, I started about, graduated about 27 years ago. Um, and to be honest, at that time, I didn't really know much about what design was. I studied for five years, so at that time, I had a good understanding. Um, and it was um, in Glasgow, I don't think, Interior design at that point was really was, was viewed as a big thing. You know, you talked about architecture, but interior design was was a fledgling career, I think, for most people. Um, and I think I grew up in the shipyard town in Claybank. You know, and um, so in fact, the guys with similar species, Ali McCauley, was in the same class as me at school. You know, and, and we laughed because our dads were welders in the shipyards. You know, and they, to produce a textile designer, an interior designer, you know, was uh, <laughs> <laughs> was slightly frowned upon. Not frowned, but it was kind of not, not, not the exactly not the chosen career. Um, but it's fascinating to to come from that background and and get involved. In the last 27 years, pretty much travelled extensively, um, worked in many things, um, started out in bars and clubs, because that's kind of what we did when I was young, um, moved on to hotels and large commercial projects, um, Africa, America, Middle East, um, all so over. So it's taken you all over the world. Yeah, but it all started in Glasgow. The first project we did was in West Region Street. In fact, Gillian's in the audience, yeah. was, uh, was there at the time, in uh, <laughs> 1992, with a brief to design a bar for a chap called Colin Bar in Glasgow. Um, with one week to do it and open on Christmas Eve. Oh, wow. And we, <laughs> we get bespoke furniture made within a week, you know, in, in that Ooh. week uh, and delivered, you know, f and the place opened and the guy is such a big character that the place absolutely boomed, you know, and so it's not all about the design in a way, the person that ran the place was amazing. So, it's, so yeah, been 27 years of interest. Fantastic. <laughs> and Anna, what about you? How did you get started? Um, well, I came up here in 1988, first time around. I went to the art school and did interior design there. And like, and as you're saying, Jim, like back then, interior design was like, people are like, what's that? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I did a stint in London, did nearly 10 years working in commercial interiors in London, and then came back to start family. And um, was that kind of you'd fallen in love with the city? Well, I, I, was, I, was, I was then married to somebody from here. Ah. <laughs> I'm not married to him anymore, <laughs> but. I do. I do. Yeah, we start a family company, Glasgow. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> find a find a willing exactly. victim. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty about. There's plenty yeah, about. yeah. I just I just went into Socky Hall Street. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought it was coming for a game of billiards, didn't it? <laughs> Chucking out time at the Savoy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what about Habitus, Anna? How did that come about? Um, well, I started Habitus just over three years ago. Um, I'd had another company before that with a business partner, um, and we went our separate ways, and um, I decided to... I don't know, I've worked in big, big companies. I mean, we talked to Jim about it earlier. I, worked, I did a stint at Imagination where there's like hundreds of designers under one roof, and that is an incredible experience. Um, and I've kind of gone through different cycles, and I just kind of wanted to work on my own. I've got all my guys that work for me that mm -hmm. do that build everything, but I just wanted to be in control of every single detail and do fewer projects, smaller scale, residentials, what I've ended up, I've been doing now since um, well the last 20 years. And uh, yeah, I kind of, it's got under my skin. I like designing people's houses. I, li I'm, I like people and uh, I'm nosy. <laughs> okay, okay. Can I just do a quick, quick poll in the audience? <coughs> Interior designers, hands up. 
Residential interior designers, keep your hands up. Commercial interior designers. Okay, so that's probably slightly more, well, about 50-50, actually, of the people in the room who are designers. I'd okay. say half are commercial, so we've got covering off here the whole kind of spread of, of interior design that's activity, which is good. Good to know. So, right, we're going to talk about sourcing. So, Susie, what is your take on this important aspect of interior design? Okay, so once upon a time, interior designers were only as good as their little black book. You know, they had trusted tradesmen and they had, you know, you had your, your secret sources of things that you, you know, you didn't tell a soul where you got something from. Um, and really, in terms of effective commercial sourcing, it was all about squirrelling back up the supply chain to get as close to the exact, the, the supplier that as you could, cutting out all the middlemen on the way through. Um, but I think in this age of the internet and also of globalisation, now everybody has access to everything. So the whole slant on sourcing has completely changed. It's not just now a matter of, of what you know, it's or who you know. It's much more about what you know and your take on materiality and your understanding of what products are, when they should be used, how they should be used, how they fit in with certain budgets. So, I mean, that to me, I think it's part of the interior designer's essential skill set and sourcing is really products, but it's also specialist trades as well, isn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. It falls into two camps. So you've got the things and you've got the people to, to, to make those things happen. Okay, so Jim, you work across the world. Yeah. How do you do it? I think it's an interesting question. For me, I always refer to it as a bit like a chef making vegetable soup. You know, you've got lots of different vegetables and you can make it in many different ways, you know, and, and it's trying to find the interesting vegetables that nobody else is using in amongst that. But equally, for us, it gets interesting when people will make things for you, you know, so it's not... The sourcing part's a massive part of that, but actually, you know, bespoke comes into it. And I think sometimes when you mix bespoke with the pieces you source, whether it be off the internet or through things you know, then for me, that's when it starts to um, be a little bit different with people. Because th there's too many people walk in there a space and say, well, seen that, seen that, seen that, seen that, seen that. I mean, everyone, it's, it's, as you say, globalisation. Mm. It's, it's difficult, it's hard, you know, um, and some of that, I think, is a skill in mixing things. Well, and there are websites now that you can go into and you can look at a hotel room and yeah. you can click on the objects in the hotel Absolutely. room and it'll tell you that that lamp's from there and that sofa's from somewhere yeah. else and that fabric's by somebody else. I mean, it was almost as I've designed a few products and some pieces made and, and I'd register names and things and almost was going to register the name. I did actually coolchair.co because I, I, I even see it in their office sometimes, you look around and people going, Cool chair, you know, cool chair, cool this, cool that, and it's cool as the word before. It's cool in whose eyes, you know. So, I think for us it, it is hard, but if you can get little things made and the right people to make it, that for me helps the balance. Yeah, and and the specialists, the skilled people that can perhaps take something, restore something, bring something back well, to well life. Even, even even the room we're sitting in just now, yeah. you know. I mean, that, that's that was the point. You know, the guy who actually was a nice program about this, and the guy who made the chairs um, is based in Kilmarnock. You know, there was a competition, I believe, to design and make the chair, you know, an original replica of a Macintosh chair. And he's a brilliant guy, you know, a guy called Kelvin, and he's, uh, he's so dedicated to what he does, and he was delighted they won the competition, you know, um, and he was also doing some other work with Prince Charles, but he was a wee guy in Kilmarnock, you know, and people would say, well, it's Kilmarnock, you know, dismiss it because he's not in London or Milan or, or Copenhagen, you know. But um, then going back to the sourcing point, how do you find someone like that? Where do you Kilmarnock? go? <laughs> 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 yes. Um, <laughs> No, but, but again, it's, it's years of venturing and, and having trust and faith in people. I actually think brave, I mean, Scotland always uses the word brave, but I think that's part of the thing. So that little black book is still yeah. possibly as relevant well, in some ways as it ever was. I'm going to sound like a bit of a tit here, but I was in, I was in, I'll do it quite regular, but I was, I was in Chicago and New York in the last week, get me, but the, went with <laughs> my son, was my son was 21, he went for a little trip, you know, um, <laughs> and we pretty much did a tour of bars and it was great, bars and restaurants, um, but the number of barmen, I know, cocktail guys who had tiny little black books, the notes in it, talking about ingredients and mix, and that is, for me, is exactly what, what that's about, is some of it's up there and you get to my age, you start to lose some of that, so it's in notebooks <laughs> or sketchbooks, or, I've, I've got sketchbooks going way back 20 odd years where there's a song at the top of every page and so I'm sitting through the night, it's a song that gets me in the zone, you know, so there's some bad songs in amongst that lot, but they, but amongst those things, I'll find little sources of little things of somebody, you know, um, we worked in Ghana and there was a guy who made incredible things with metalwork in Ghana, you know, um, of used him, you know, so that, you get things, you're, you're desperate to get to the little guy and then, you, as you see, you might not want to publicise that because then everybody gets to the little guy and it's, it's hard to balance that. Mm. What about mm. you, Anna? Do you have a little black book? I, yeah, I do. Yeah. Good. I mean I've heard of your little black book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I've got a couple. <laughs> but we're talking about interior design right, today. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, 
So I don't have a problem with the sort of democratization of information and people being able to f look at an image and know where something is from. Because as you're, as you're saying, you know, it's how we, how we, it's put, how it we put it together. Exactly. And it's what we know. Um, yes. that that's uh, and how we understand our clients and how, because there's actually almost, there's too much choice. Yes, so we, we become like a cipher or a, or, yeah. a, or a filter, but also the little black book. I mean, it's about you know yeah. Jim's talking about human beings. Over the years, you're working in this business, you form relationships with people that can do stuff for you and that understand what you're after, what level of quality or what kind of detail you would like. So, just picking up on that, the, the little black book thing. Would you say that there are still genuine trade-only suppliers, or is it really the case that people have access to everything now? Mm. Because once upon a time, you know, part of the point was that you, you know, your clients couldn't go and buy what you were showing them. They did not have access well to I it. Well, I think what might put them off is, for example, we deal with a, an amazing metal worker in East Kilbride. It's near Kilmarnock. Thank you, for <laughs> thank you for that. But the <laughs> and, and this guy's brilliant. It's a long way from Australia. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and he refers to him himself as an architectural metal worker, which is quite interesting because he sees himself as above other metal workers. And, and rightly so, because he's got a skilled team of guys who've made some amazing things for us for a project in Amsterdam recently. And, um, and that guy, I don't think anybody will go up the street. He's an industrial estate in the middle of nowhere. You know? And you might look online. He doesn't, he doesn't have a website. He doesn't advertise. All his work comes through commercial, so those guys will be in your little black book, you know. Um, yeah. Basically, the little black book, I, I ate in a restaurant the other day, and, and the chef had this amazing dish, and it was like, if you broke it down, it was tomatoes, lobster, and a bit of egg, you know. So the ingredients were still the same ingredients, but you know what, the mix was amazing, you know, and that is exactly what you're kind of talking about, you know. It's you still take raw ingredients and still create magic. Yeah, absolutely. And so people, people that you know, think they can just look at a photo and replicate it, they can't because they don't get the balance right, they don't get the colours right and things. But also about knowing when to specify things that as appropriate for certain circumstances. You know, are things safe? Do they fall within budget? You know, we get... Uh, do, I mean, you, you must find that you get, particularly with residential clients, I can find that cheaper online. You know, you recommend a light fitting to them and they kind of go off and go, oh, yeah, but, you know, I can get that for £5 for three. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I have no problem with that. I've, I mean, I, 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 I've sort of altered my approach, and I, it's partly to do with what I was talking about, this sort of democratisation of, of access to all this stuff. So we, we're not kind of gatekeepers of, of high design, and I don't think we should be. I think that's kind of, that's a bit old hat. And um, so I always talk about collaborating with my clients. Absolutely. And I'm like, look, I'm going to do some sourcing. You do some too. You know, we'll, we'll work together on it. But I think probably what I was gunning at was more that you, you then have to have enough product knowledge so that you can manage your client's expectations and explain why the one that he's found online is different to the one that perhaps you were suggesting. Yes, but I don't see it like a competition. Oh, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, Agree. Yeah, and actually, th that works both ways. They might find someone that's they might find the same thing that I've found, but they might find it for a better price because they've Googled differently or something. So it, it, I, I think it kind of swings and roundabouts. So the internet really has changed the way we... Do you find that too, that you... Well, or you s you're, you're dealing with your guys in Kilmarnock and, and, yeah, exactly. and the internet yeah, doesn't enter into it? <laughs> You've been in Kilmarnock then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going tomorrow. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the centre of the universe. That's a great place. Um, no, I, th I think I remember when... I have a good memory, but I remember when I started off, you pretty much you had trade magazines that would come in, you know, into the office, um, or you maybe, you maybe when you're younger, if you could afford to go to one of the shows, that was like a big thing to go to Milan. Was like, whoa, you know, it was, uh, or later on Stockholm or, or Paris or, or any shows, you know, um, and a way opens your eyes up in a big way because you thought, shit, there's a whole lot of stuff out there, you know. Um, but at that point, you, you see, they used to—I think it was one of the big Italian companies used to this fold-out big bit of paper. Can you remember who it was? And, and it had about 50 chairs on it, and every designer in Glasgow specified those 50 chairs because that was kind of what you knew, you know, or there was um, an Eames chair, or it was all the classics, you know, in a way. And, and that, was, that was even harder, actually, because you, you were stuck with a limited set, you know. Um, nowadays, there's millions of choices, but I think for the internet, if something's really good and it's launched, say, in Milan, and it's a, a really nice chair, you know that it's going to be oversaturation within a year, and people will stop using it because they think, you know what, I've seen that. So many times. Everywhere, you know. It's, it's yes, you've almost got to try and work out, like, what's the cool chair, uh -huh. but it's not the cool chair. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's not going to end up on some kind of reality programme yeah. and then get destroyed. Well, well, well exactly. Like Big Brother or one of these programmes, mm -hmm. you know, you see, you see so many things and you think, 
and then the client comes back and says, listen, you specified them in my project. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's you know, embarrassing. Uh, uh, one of the questions that annoys me more than any other is, what are the trends? What, do you, what are the trends? What do you use the trends? What's the colour trend? What's this trend? And it's like, I'm not doing trends. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what's right for the client and the building and the, and the job and what they're trying to achieve and the look. But sometimes there's a safety valve. I think where, where clients will look at something and think, you know what? Actually, I get that because I've seen it so many times, kind of in the market, and I, I feel there's a safety that I think, okay, I'll take that, I'll take that, I'll get it. And, and if you, as, you, as Anna says, you get to know the clients, you can convince them to go a bit further or try something, you know. And, and the point I was going to say about being brave, I think, you know, is, is a really important thing. If, if you can try to be brave, and if a client at the same time is equally keen to be brave, then you might end up with a really interesting solution, you know. But if you get a client who says, listen, you know, no, no, I, I like that, you know, I meet. You'll try and push hard to push them out, you know, if, if you think it's wrong, if you think it's wrong. Yeah. Equally, if a client comes up with a great idea, then fantastic, you know, that, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, even better, course, the two is got together, you yeah. know, so it's a good yeah, thing. Without yeah. question. Do you think that some of these issues with sort of sourcing via the internet and kind of being fed the same thing, you know, the algorithm takes over and you just get fed mm. the same thing over and over and over and over again, do you think that the new or recent um, advent of the sourcing platforms that are available online help to overcome some of these difficulties? in terms of finding unique and interesting things? I think, I think sometimes th there, are, there, are so m there are so many, we're talking about there's so many companies making like a secondary filter almost, aren't mm. they? So they're, they're giving you a, a semi-curated uh, pick list that you can then choose from. So um, I think if you're, if, you're, you know, if you're up against it and you want to buy everything through one place and not be constantly ordering things online and keeping track of loads of orders um, and also if you want to be able to you kind of get a feel for that company has this kind of it represents these a particular handwriting perhaps yeah exactly then that that's um that's useful very useful and, and i don't think it's too different from I keep saying back in the day i'm sounding really old here you know but i'm just <laughs> old not really old but they and I think, you know, in, in those days you had, you could tell, you could name the shops in Glasgow and Edinburgh that, that did that, you know, and in, in London, you could name, there was a tiny handful of them and there was some guys, you know, had their own little thing on the go and, and those, those guys would go and do the mileage to bring you the stuff back, you know, and, and um, but I dare say referring to like Houseology as an example, you know, we dealt with them last year in a project in the local home and a, a private lodge and a golf club, you know, um, which is close to domestic probably as we've kind of worked in. And, and it was great, you know, because we had a lot of stuff that we wanted, you know, and so we said, okay, we're looking for this, and it's okay, we can deal with that, 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 and that. That was that was easy. And then we had the point, and I was saying we had restrictions in time, and it was a huge list of stuff. And you know what? And the guys were coming back and said, okay, here's some options, here's some other things. And you know what? That that was a back and forward barter, and and that that project within the set budget, within the time scale of the program, it, it was on the money, and it at that time it really helped. You know, it was um, so absolutely. You know, it, there's times you're going to be able to pick absolutely everything, and other times people help you. You know. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. So using a sourcing company is a little bit like extending your design Something team sort yeah. of temporarily. Yeah. Or or just putting a few more pages in that black well, book. 100%. Mm -hmm. and, and equally, you know, the guys are curating various companies within their collection. You know, so in a way that, you know, they're probably feeding off what you've got. But I think the point of any of this is, is back to vegetable soup, is to mix the whole thing wherever you can. You know, and, and sometimes it suits and sometimes it doesn't. Mm. That was a good one. With sourcing, do you do everything before the project starts, or are you actually sourcing all the way through? I think if you can get away with it, sourcing all the way through, you know, and uh, we always, I mean, I hate the projects where you, you design it three years ago and somebody does a set of drawings, you know, and, and set in stone, you know, and, and three years later you're thinking, you know, actually I've now seen the space and it's that. So we've got a few clients who'll let us dither, I really, a good Scottish we, word, I but know, they. I know, with us, sorry. No, no, I think, you know, it's, it's a good thing to actually see the space and, and try things and see, you know what, actually I've seen something that I think's better. We're doing a job in Dublin at the minute and I had a phone call to the client and they said, listen, there's actually, there's a move in here that'll make sense, you know, and actually yeah. over a long period will will make you money and that usually swings it, you know. So dither, also because dither's not a dirty word for designers. No, well, no. it's not about dithering. I mean, we quite often too, the, you know, the construction phase of a project is going to take you, could take, you know, several years if it's a really big project. And so we always reserve the right, particularly with the FF&E, yeah, e at the end to go back and revisit it because, you know, we might have spec'd stuff right at the beginning and we might have sold a vision yeah. to the client for the way yeah. it's going to look. But actually, by the time push comes to shove, it's already dated and you don't yeah. want to be putting in something or, you know, it became yeah. the chair that came out of Milan yeah. last year and, you know, you don't want to use that chair anymore. So we always reserve the right to kind of go back and do a, a refresh because, you know, there are products that are coming to the market all the time and you're seeing fabulous stuff. Or, or 
as always happens in a project, the FF&E is the last bit of the project to go in, you know, and by that time the, the M&E guys went over, the structural leaders went over, mm -hmm. they all went over, and, and you're suddenly, your, and your, pot, budget has your, gone your pot is the last one left, you know, yeah. and I'm, I'm pretty sure that you have the podcast with engineers and M&E guys will say the opposite, they'll be like, you know, <laughs> bloody interior designers, <laughs> but, the, but it's always the case, you know, you're left with the little bit, you know, yeah. and, and that's when you sometimes change, you know, so that is, I do dither, to be honest, absolutely, I dither, you know, at times, and just not a badness, just because actually to take a pause sometimes and just to think about it a little bit more is a good thing. You know. What do you enjoy most about sourcing, Anna? Well, it's like uh, shopping, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, every single, my house is full. It's really, really full. And um, so I, I see some beautiful new piece of furniture. I'm like, that goes into my head. I think, well, I'll wait for an opportunity to use that. And I get as much pleasure actually finding something beautiful for somebody else that suits them and their, their taste and their aspirations as I, as I would if buying it for myself. It is a joyous experience, isn't it, Susie? No, it is. It's wonderful to be able to go off and, and you know, find just the right thing for, for a person and just you know, see the look on their face and it's, if you've met that need and you've, you've given them something that yeah. they're going to live with and love every minute of every time they look at it. It's just, it's a, it's sometimes a it's a long road. <laughs> sometimes it's a long road. But I think, I think sometimes with the, the other side, because we, we keep talking about product, but the flip side, of course, of the sourcing thing, although yeah. you've touched on it quite a few times, Jim, is the, those artists, the artisans and the craftsmen yeah. that will make you stuff. And that can be a slightly more fraught process because if it's particularly if it's someone that you've not worked with before and you're entrusting with them with a particularly sensitive mm. element of a project that can be that can be really quite tricky but also you, you get a bit of payback if it's guys you've used before or girls you've used before you know that they'll always cut you a bit of slack and that to me is we've done a we did the big project in chicago one year and and we're an amazing contractor and then we flipped to minneapolis to the next project within no time and they're both huge budgets, over 250 million, and, um, and they didn't use the, they didn't use the same contractor basically for the, the second project. You know, they thought, but when we spent three years with these guys, they understand us, they know kind of what level we're looking for, they understand what details, you know. And it was nuts. We then spent three months trying to convince. There's also this bit. It's a bit like going to the new school. Where you're convincing these guys that you're good at what you do, and, and you know, you, your sketches and your scribbles are justified and valid. So you spent three months just posturing, you know, just to say, okay, watch well, it. Okay, the three-month period is over. Yeah, clearly you understand what you're doing, right? Let's now go on with the job, you know, and, and so, so we do push hard to try and use where we can contractors we've used before, if we can, because you know what? It cuts a lot of the pain out, you know, it and really if we does. make a mistake, then we cover your back a wee bit yeah, as yeah, well, yeah, you know. Absolutely. That's vital. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because it's only when, only once you've worked with someone a couple of times, they know how you work, you know how yeah. they work, you know, you understand each other's drawings, you understand each other's processes, you can communicate clearly on things, and it just, just Smooth. Well, they'll, they'll, they'll also know how much they can get away with and how much yeah. they can't get away with. You know, that gives you a good start. Yeah. You know. Until they start to take you for granted, of course. Oh, oh that <laughs> never happens. No, never. No. Never? <laughs> Does it never happen? Of course not. <laughs> Do you source using social media at all? Training shoes. <laughs> often go on social media, Instagram. I only started on Instagram last year because my older son says you should do that stuff, you know, just like, I'm not sitting really old here, but. And it's great actually, you know, but it keeps coming up as like training shoes and sometimes you get chairs and stuff, probably most of the stuff I know. So, those are cool chairs. Cool chairs, exactly. Cool chairs and training shoes. Not these ones I've got, these sun bought me these as a present. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, cool, I, yeah, yeah, because I think you just look for instance, I mean, you, know, you were talking about yeah. the olden days yeah. when, they, when the monthly uh, edition of, uh, of whatever yeah, interior yeah. design magazine came into studio and everyone yeah. was fighting yeah, yeah. over to get to read it. And now you've got the sort of constant stream of, of new information um, available. Um, yeah, absolutely. So oh. I'll see something and I'll just like ping it to a client and go, oh, how about that one? And magazines, magazines still important for you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think everybody loves a glossy magazine, don't they? Of course. Yeah. Of course. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> magazine editor in the audience. Yeah. Thank you. Holmes and Jimmy Scotland. But what about product libraries? Do you, do you find that your product library, do you keep, well, first of all, question to both of you, do you, do you still maintain a product library? Do you have a product library? Do you, Jim, do you? I do. Yes. yes, yes, I do. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's, I'm trying to kind of keep it select. Um, because it's it's still so much easier to just sit at the computer and find something than it is to rummage through shelves. Yeah. But um, it's a kind of comfort blanket, and certainly for samples, for the actual touch physical and feel of samples. So yeah. I think it tends to be more physical samples than product literature, 
Whereas like when I started out, you know, the office junior, you had to spend half a day a week keeping the library up to date and making sure people weren't cutting things out of the, the catalogues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and ours, uh, well, ours is quite a good library, but we, um, you do sometimes see people's because it's about the last moment because you've got a pillar board together and it's, you know, so there's a kind of bit scrambling in amongst samples and things, you know, to some degree, not all the time, but, the, uh, but there is something really nice when you order a, a particular sample of material, something that you know is quite special and it kind of comes in. It's still that nice thing. I'm a shopper as well. My mm. wife hates it. I'm a shopper, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm terrible. We go down, I'll pick something really quickly and she dithers, you know, but they, <laughs> but they get something coming. It sounds like for a guy to come in, you get some samples that week from a particular client and it was just, there is that. It's a wee bit like Christmas. It's, a wee bit it's like just oh. gorgeous. And, s and sometimes it just has to live on your desk oh, for a day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you just have to kind oh, of. We don't live in our desk because somebody it. pinches it. Oh, okay. like, you know, yeah. We've got wee places, we've got hidey holes because people do. It's like scurries around, but they. Well, I, I just have a, I have a, I have a, a sort of long surface next to my desk, and, and as the samples arrive, they, they kind of pile up on there, and then the cat starts jumping up on top of it and then they start <laughs> when they start sliding off onto the floor then that's when I have to go and catalogue them but I get lots of kind of accidents that happen like I've, I've sort of noticed oh, that that bit of tweed looks really nice with that rhinoceros wallpaper thank there you. we go thank you cat job done cat yeah. scheming yeah yeah absolutely I got, I got beautiful beautiful package just yesterday and it was I opened up the yeah. envelope and it was wrapped up in tissue paper oh. and tied up with a little bow and inside with this hand-woven um, Shetland oh, divine. tweed with a, with a personal letter from the person who'd woven it. And I was like, oh, that's just the most... That just made me... That's made me happy. That's going to keep me going for, like, a week. I bet you they've got a personal record department saying, right, another personal record required, OK? <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, it's that little things that you don't get nowadays. Is a yeah. Is, is, is lovely. But in, in terms of the brochures, you know, we used to keep an enormous, you know, yeah. piles of mountains, you know, lighting brochures and furniture catalogues and everything. And of course now, because it's all, you know, we chucked all that, we flicked all that yeah. years ago. Um, and also the other problem was that you never really had enough, no matter how much information was in the catalogue, yeah. you really never had enough information. There was always something that was missing. And so you'd have these insane phone calls where you'd be trying to get the information out of uh -huh. the guy on the other end of the phone who had no idea what yeah. you were talking about. So you'd get in the car and you'd drive miles to go and look at whatever it was, the basin or the tap yeah. or something, yeah. to make sure it was actually going to fit. Yeah. And, and uh, I think, you know, I talk to my junior, my much younger team, I'm the oldie in my team, um, and they, they think I'm insane, you know, when I talk <laughs> about the, the bad old days yeah. before the internet. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, it's just, it's made our job so much easier. But in a way, I think harder as well, because there's, it's opened up so many possibilities. And yet, you sometimes get into a space and you see a really obvious chair in an amazing space, and you think, well, that's great, someone's been bold enough to put what seems like a, a really obvious choice, but in a brilliant room, you know. You know, so sometimes we worry too much about the next big thing or the new thing. You know, sometimes actually it's staring you in the face and sometimes it is the obvious choice and mixed in amongst the other pieces. You know, and, and in our library, sorry, we've got a collection of things you'd love to use, you know, and then the ones that you probably would like to use and then the ones that you probably get to use. And a lot of the projects, you know, so you take your leathers, for example, you go there, there and there, you know, and, and the, one, the odd time you get excited because the clients can spend enough money. You can hide it in amongst the project to get to use the, really, the leathers with a beautiful luster, you know. Most times you get to that one, and sometimes you have to go to that one, and that's, you know, someone says, why does that banquet not look quite as nice as what you see in that really nice restaurant? You think, well, actually, apart from the detail, it's usually... But I think that's what I meant about, you know, the materiality yeah. and actually making sure that you're explaining to your clients the, the rationale or, the, you know, the consequences yeah. of their value engineering decisions. The bit that, yeah, when mm -hmm. they say how much, you know, that, that one, you know, yeah. it's like... Uh, but that's where sales comes in. That, that's also a big skill, I think, as, as a designer, I think. You've got to be able to sound, being passionate about taking a piece of fabric out with a, a tissue. Yeah. You know, the, um, you know that, that kind of thing. I think clients will buy into that if it, if it feels personal. It feels like you're passionate about it. I think you've got half a chance. Well, of and also through. going back to your your samples that you've just received of handwoven tweeds from yeah. Shetland. You know, if you if you go to your client, and you're saying, "Oh my God, this is so amazing!" And you know, they were woven by John. And yes. Last <laughs> Tuesday, you know, in the second quarter. Of <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah <laughs> under yeah. a full moon. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. That, the whole thing. And if if you can if you can get your clients to buy into the story, they'll obviously they often will pay the price. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also that different clients will have different things that they're comfortable with spending lots of money on. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and some clients will be like, well, I want to have the best yeah. possible leather, but I'm going to, you know, yeah. what's the point in spending more than X amount on the carpet? Because I'm, I'm standing on that. You know? and, 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 and it's finding out actually what, what people's priorities yeah. are. 
and oh. then and then waiting it. And how far they'll go. We went recently yeah. to, for years we've been wanting to go to the Antolini Leisure factory in, in Verona, you know, to see the stones. And it's amazing. It's, uh, I, was there amazing. I was there recently. Oh my goodness, and, um, I haven't been. And <laughs> it was just, and I took a, a job we're doing, in, doing a job in, in France at the minute in the Alps and took a client with us and we went and it, it was just like manna from heaven and I thought, you know, we're absolutely sold this. You know, they're, they're, and they're a great client who was sold on the kind of idea anyway, but the the guys took you about in a thousand slabs of stone. Yeah, you know, so it's, it's an enormous, it's a warehouse yeah. the size of an aircraft hangar. Yeah, and it's just all the way around the walls. There are just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rare marbles from all over the world. Every colour, every shape, every patination. It's just, it's like a sweet it's shop. Old, but they tell you, they also tell us the stories about how you know, volcanoes erupted. And I think, you well, know, I was, I was going to say that yeah. the last time I was there, yeah. they were having earthquakes that day yeah. so we were in we're with clients and we're trying to choose stone for this big project yeah. we were doing and, and all of a sudden there'd be an earthquake and they'd, they'd sort of say come out so we'd all have to run and stand in the middle of the car park because if, if you're standing in, in this and these slabs start to fall over <laughs> there's not there's not going to be much left of you but then you go out to the almost the car park and they've got these serious blocks of stone that have just been cut out of the stone and and you get a hand picked to put number. I mean, they're very good at it. I mean, I think they put the numbers for the block and tell you where it came from, you know. And, and they spray it with a little insignificant yeah, little blue paint. gun, you know. And, yep. and you go spray it with water, you see it. That's the bit I think where, where clients will buy into that, you know, saying, you know, that kind of experience where it actually they get to touch something that for them, they're seeing it from source rather than something they see in a magazine and say, okay, well, it then arrives and it goes up and they go, yeah, it's as pretty as it looked, but actually to see something that's raw. And the fact they can tell their friends that they went to Verona and they saw their stone and they yeah. saw the slab it came from and they selected their yeah. pieces and, yeah, absolutely. and here it is in my bathroom. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you've got to take the client with you on this sourcing journey, haven't Sometimes you? they love that, you know, and, yeah. they, and they love it when you kind of take them up dark, Sinister looking alleys. I don't do you that. You know, cobbled <laughs> alleyways. But then, you know, and you go through some hidden Dickensian gate, and all of a sudden on the other side is this amazing showroom, and they're kind of going, What just happened? And, you know, suddenly they're in some, there's someone in back there I've who's hand yeah. weaving rugs or whatever it happens to be. I finally met somebody who's as good at bullshit as me. <laughs> 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 yeah. Do you get your clients closely involved as well, Anna? Yes, well, if they want to be, yes. I, th I, think you, I think there's lots of interior designers here who will have a similar kind of experience that you'll get some clients who will just give you the keys and, s and say, tell, tell me when it's ready. And then others wow. that will literally yeah. micromanage every single moment and want to go and look at every single thing. And it's about being, being flexible and let letting people experience employing an interior designer whichever way suits them and how they how they think and how much involvement they want to have. I think sourcing is, is something that an interior designer definitely offers as a, a valuable part of their skill set, don't they? So you've, you've got to be able to sell it as a, as a kind of, I'm adding value to your project. Yes, ex exactly. I agree. So how do you do that? By convincing them that you know a lot about what you're talking about. That's where the bullshit comes back yeah, into the exactly. space. <laughs> 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 but, but you know, you, you have to be the expert. Yeah, we, we did, did a project in, in Ghana a few years back, and um, I told this story earlier, but where I got a phone call from a friend in London saying, listen, do you want to meet this guy in, in the Ivy for breakfast? And I thought, well, that sounds like a good enough excuse, we'll do that. You know, and, uh, I pretty much showed him some work, you know, and, and he's, yeah, 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 as Anna said, yeah, cool, you know, let, let's, let, let's go, you know, and, and went to Ghana and spent time in Accra, and, a lovely man and, he, he, and his, his wife, lovely family, and, and we did this, so did this proposal, and, and, he, and he said, but how, okay, great, I love it. He said, we showed him CGI's, and he said, but how are we going to deliver it, you know, and, and Ghana said, well, how do you deliver it, and Ghana said, well, you know, there's not, there's not an amazing local skill set, it's a lot of seven million people, a lot of labour, but, um, and then when you, he said, a lot of stuff comes in from South Africa, but the period it was starting, they were on holiday, you know, and it was their summertime, and, and just this kind of brainwave, I thought, you know what, I've got a group of guys, that I know in Glasgow who would be perfect for this, you know, and, um, and I phoned my pal and I said, listen, what's the chances? And they said, I'll ask the guys, and, and pretty much, you know, 14 of them moved out to Ghana for a year and a half, you know, um, and on the, on the basis, though, that we, um, we said, okay, we'll try and teach some skills to the locals when they're out there, you know, and, and, uh, and they left all their tools with the guys, and every time they brought over, like, a laser tape, I mean, you've seen the smiles in these guys' faces, <laughs> it was amazing, you know, like, um, and built this really nice project called Coco Lounge, it's, it's lovely, it's got, and the guy's wife is um, a lovely girl, and she was really into her furniture and design. So she used to go to Paris every year, the Maison Objet, and she would bring stuff back in her other shop. So we designed a shop for her, and then did bars and restaurants and a club. And, a, and the opening night was incredible. These 
African people dancing. I mean, I don't dance, clearly, like a typical Scotsman, but it was just incredible to see, you know, the, the energy and the vibrancy. But those 12 guys, or 14 guys, had lived there, you know, for a year and a half and built this project. And then at the end of it, they had two or three of the Ghanaians who were really good at tiling and two or three really good at joinery, you know. And, then, and that was just taking, you know, the source of 14 guys that I knew you would have a laugh in Ghana. And there were some great stories, you know, but, they, but equally would help the guys to build something amazing, you know. And it, I think you got four or five page spread in Hill Decoration, which they were delighted about, you know. And it was a proper project, properly built, made in Glasgow, shipped because the guy was a, an importer and exporter of food, shipped really easily and, and, and built in Ghana, you know, and that was, the source and then was about people rather, yes, than, the, yes, rather yes, than the products, Yeah, the know. skills, yeah, you were taking yeah. the skills out. Yeah. Do you have a favourite sourcing project, Susie? Favourites as well, mm. um, we were, yeah, we were talking earlier, I did, I, did a, I did a job, it was a big Georgian property in central London that we were um, converting into apartments and it was a firm of Pakistani developers who decided that they wanted to kind of source things in Pakistan because they wanted to encourage local skills and crafts yeah. and things in Pakistan. But also the subtext was that they thought they were going to get it really cheap. <laughs> 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 and it, it, um, it, with mixed results, so some of, it, some of the stuff that we ha designed and shipped back, yeah. so we had fireplaces made out there. We'd taken elements from the existing cornices in this yeah. listed building and turned them in because the yeah. fireplaces were long gone. So we, we had wonderful fireplaces made up and that they were beautiful. But the we also had a load of furniture made up and all the lacquered pieces, they wrapped them while the lacquer was still wet. <sighs> so nice effect. <laughs> <laughs> so when they were eventually Spin delivered that. to site and we're unwrapping them, every time you pull the plastic off, all the lacquer comes off too. So that mm. wasn't <gasps> so good. So, you know, it's... Um, that was your favourite project? No, no. <laughs> but actually, but actually one, one so, okay, so a, a sort of people sourcing thing we used on that same job. Um, the library in that house had 18th century panelling, which was older than the house. The panelling had been taken from a house in Paris, I think, probably when they were demolishing swathes of Paris to make those boulevards. And there was lots of stuff being flushed onto the UK market and people were buying these things and putting them in their houses. So we had this amazing panelling and it was exquisite. And it had been painted, if you can imagine. And we, s we found this a wonderful specialist team of guys who, and using the most toxic chemicals and with breathing apparatus on all the time for 12 weeks, they were holed up in this room carefully, carefully, carefully stripping the paint right. off this panelling. But the, the results were just Amazing, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Come on, Anna, you're going. Well, I've got a kind of back-to-front version of your, your Ghana <laughs> story, which yep. is um, I was doing a, a nightclub in Seoul, in Korea, yeah. and I'd spent ages and ages and ages uh, designing this kind of big blob-shaped bar. It was massive, yeah. and trying to work out how to create these three-dimensional curves and um, working with um, a fiberglass um, fabricator, yeah. a, 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 a oh, yacht fan in the crowd, uh, somebody <laughs> that made, made yeah. bespoke yachts, to be able to yeah. make this format of fiberglass and loads and loads of samples of the different kind of colours and, and so on. So we had this sort of, um, sort of slightly goldy metallic that was they were going to put through the resin and I was like, yes, I've, got, I've kind of, it was like a real effort, a detailing yeah. effort and again, pre-internet. And, um, set and, and the way that that project was delivered was that, I, I, and I ran that project and I had different teams working on the different areas because yeah. it was a really, really big um, nightclub project in this hotel. And um, we just sent the drawing package out. And then they were like, we don't want you to have anything to do with building it. We're just gonna yeah, do yeah, that yeah, ourselves. Yeah. And um, so when they, they looked at the bar drawing, they were like, oh, we're not gonna oh, no. get that made in the UK and ship yeah. it over. We make cars here. Yeah. We'll get some panel beaters, yeah. and we'll make it out of steel, stainless steel, and we'll shine some yellow lights on it so it looks a bit gold. <laughs> it oh. actually, and I was extremely upset, yeah. but actually it looked a bit great. Amazing. Yeah. A bit amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's the worst sourcing disaster you've ever had? Oh, I built to do an entire skip. It was a client who had seen a picture of something, a wallpaper, um, a sort of geometric, very, very particular shade of a kind of Dijon mustardy colour on a white background. And I don't know if people have tried to do Dijon mustard colour. It can, you, it, it's a very, very, very small spectrum, and it can go really wrong either side of that. And um, 
I don't know how many samples I ordered of different wallpapers to yellow, to green, to, to baby poo, to yeah. whatever. And um, or the pattern's too big, or the pattern's too small, or it's too flowery, or it's new. And eventually, I mean, it was like, it was like pulling teeth, getting to a decision on the wallpaper, had the sample, finally, finally found one, really obscure supplier, hand-blocked. Okay, right, we've got it. Whole schemes built around it, furniture ordered, curtains, carpet, everything, all built around going with this very, very, very particular shade. And the wallpaper was ordered, and it arrived, and... Yeah, they just sort of made it in a very slightly different colour. Oh, no. So it was very, very, very slight. Very. I mean, it's like, as I'm saying, I, you guys will know, um, it wasn't massively different. But different But enough. over a large area, it was different enough. And the client was in floods of tears. So, yeah, that's... If you want... <laughs> I think it's kind of sad to end on, a, like, a bad well, story. How, how, did, how did that get resolved, Anna? How was that sorted? Uh, she got used to it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Which actually, actually is the moral of the tale because yeah. we've all had that situation where, and we were talking about it before, about when there's something going wrong on a project, it's like the biggest disaster in the whole world and everything's, you know, and people are tearing yeah. their hair out and thinking, that's it, I'm going to go and open a florist, yeah. I'm never going to do interior design again. It's like, you know, it's, everything feels like it's the worst thing in the world. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, a couple of months later, it's fine, got used to it, it's fine. Yeah, I, 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 find, I find with me, it's, it's, there's so many things that drive me crazy about every project because nothing ever is entirely as it was in your mind. So there might be dozens of things at the end of every job. And you go back two months later and you walk in and kind of go, oh, this is wonderful. Yeah. And you get too close to it, I think. That's yeah. the trouble. And nobody else is ever going to see what was in your head. And perfection isn't, isn't mm. possible. No. And you can design a beautiful room and everything is like tuned to the nth degree and a big snappy snaps picture of the dog gets put on the wall above the fireplace. <laughs> it's their home, they can do it if they want to. It's fine. And Jim? I did a, very recently actually, did a, did a, a project in, in London. Um, I'm trying to avoid using names here. Anyway, it was really, it was good. Um, and the project was, we'd ordered specific like 120 chairs from a supplier um, who I'd found on the internet. Um, now, I was delighted because I found this chair and I thought, I've never seen that chair. And it was, I mean, you guys are the same, you know, most of the chairs out there. I'd never seen it and I thought, great. And it was perfect for the project and it was quite a high-end project. Um, I'm ordered in January, due to be delivered on May the 3rd um, and kept in touch with them saying, yeah, yeah, everything good, everything good. Yeah, can you send us a picture of mid-making, you know, mid-production, they were like, yeah, yeah, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, you know, and it sent us a sample of a piece of a leg, and, and about three weeks out, I said, listen, guys, do you send some pictures of clients now looking to see pictures, you know, I'm quite a high-end client, and, uh, and they said, and I'll do my dodgy accent, because I spoke to the guy, and he said, yeah, yes, yes, Mr. Jim, don't you worry, we send you nice pictures, um, <laughs> he says, uh, your client delighted, but they won't be here until, it was like three weeks after the project was due to start, you know, due to open, um, and I was like, I just, I was that, you have those nights where you just don't get to sleep, you're thinking, you know, and I was getting a flight the next morning uh, to London, and my oldest son recommended watching a programme on Netflix, and I didn't even, he just told me the title, but I'd flicked on, and it was the programme, it was about the guy who did the music festival in <laughs> oh, America, yes. the one that went, seriously tits up. I'd forgot, I just I thought, take my mind off of this, I'm going to flick on Netflix on my iPad, <laughs> flick to this on and watch this entire programme, and I was like, that's me, that is basically me at the moment, I'm going... <laughs> So I literally got off the train and get the, I was in the train into, uh, into London and before I got on the tube I thought, no wait a minute, I'd been phoning the two guys that I'd been dealing with, one was the production manager and one was the, the head sales manager um, and I couldn't get past them, you know, and they kept saying, you know, no, no, look, there's nothing we can do, we go on holiday next week and it's a holiday in the country and it's this and I thought, you know, understanding here and I was sending them messages and I just wasn't getting past it uh, and the two phone numbers for the company go to these two guys and, uh, and I knew they were on holiday for the next th four or five days. I thought this has got delivered the next Friday, a week out or something by this time. And, uh, so I got off the train and, I've <laughs> and I thought, one bright spark, I thought, you know, I'm going to look for an admin number for that company and just, somebody was shining down on me and I got this administration number and I phoned this number and this very nice person came on the phone and I put in a very nice accent and said, I love your products, we're doing this amazing project with you guys. And she said, oh, it's really nice to hear, she said, your chairs are amazing, yeah, yeah. I said, I'm looking for the two guys, and I knew they weren't there, and she's always on holiday, and holiday, so I need an answer, and I quit. I says, what, the managing director, the owner, what's his name again? And she says, oh, so-and-so, because I couldn't find the managing director's name, and um, 
I said, right, that's what it is. I says, I've not spoken to him for a while. I says, I've lost his number. I'll give you his number. He knows, so she gave me his number. Oh. And I pretty much phoned and left a tirade for this guy, you know, because I couldn't get him. We never picked up. Um, but basically, set it on the line, just what was involved here, you know. Um, and three hours later, he phoned back. He says that dragged off a whole team back off holiday. And pretty much an article that the lorry was going to go the following Saturday and deliver it to the Monday for the place Amazing. open on the Monday, you know. And, and it was only through watching Netflix, I think, and actually thinking, there must be some way of resolving this. There has to be a way. And I, the only, I well, thought, they didn't have to do what the guy was going to do to get the water. Well, basically, <laughs> exactly, aye, but, but, it, but it was the, the point was, if I hadn't thought about the admin number, I was, it was never going to happen, and I would have been 120 chairs late. And I got off the train, the first time it was phone three or four guys that I knew, suppliers in the industry, say, listen, if this goes tits up, do you have 40 chairs, 40 chairs, 40 chairs, you know, that mm. I'm just that they're going to be straight with the client. And, um, but basically, it, it came through that there was a three or four chairs light, but, the, um, but that was... They got there. It was the worst. I mean, I've had some bad ones, and that, that was the... But the guy, just through the guy, says, don't you worry, your client will be delighted when he sees the chairs. I said, yeah, but three weeks later, he said, but they look beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Suppliers. Mm. On that note, On thank that you note. very much. Okay, we're now going to open up the conversation to the floor. So, who has a question for our panel? Yeah, over there. Hello, Anna Power, Anna Power Interiors. Yeah. Just a question about the online growing market there and coming across companies, maybe slightly smaller. You want to be the finding those little small firms that produce the goods that no one's seen before or won't see um, for a while. How do you come across the problem of getting samples from companies that maybe don't have that part of their company set up that, of course, you need in, in your projects? I think sometimes mm. for me, I, I would really then go through their, their website, if they've got a website, and try and understand you know, their, um, their spirit, you know, in a way. And, and I think yeah. if you read, I can sometimes, I think, read between the lines a little bit, if their spirit seems right, and you think, you know what, these guys, and you speak to them, even just a tone of voice, I think trust is like any relationship. I think yeah. you speak to someone, and, and you think, you know what, I, we used to have, uh, I don't know the right language, but do you remember chewing the fat, this sort of Scottish thing was, and they used to do a thing, you'll never have seen it, but it was basically um, wank, wank, good guy, you know what we said. <laughs> and it, I just thought it was, we used that so many times in business where you would, you would meet someone and you think, you know what, you used to come back out of a meeting, somebody met for the first time, what do you think? And most of the time we're good guys, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but the odd one it wasn't. And I, I do believe that I spent a long time ago, I used to, st I was six stone ago, sp played football for a long time and, um, but I spent a lot of time in football dressing rooms. I do believe, having spent 30 years in amongst that environment, you know, you soon suss out the people who are not going to deliver. And yeah. I would take a leap of faith every time. Yeah, yeah I think, I mean, that comes back to what we talked about earlier, but it's about the, the human beings, yeah. and that's part of what's so satisfying about being in this business. But, um, yeah, to answer the question about would I specify something without seeing a sample? Do you mean um, a sample of a piece of furniture or a sample of a material? Because yeah. I think it's a material, I would have to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. I, think, I guess I'm thinking more kind of maybe smaller products, chairs, yeah. furniture, yeah. maybe even artisan products like pottery or, or pieces of artwork or I guess pieces of artwork or yeah. something. But those kind of bespoke pieces, maybe the finishing touches, yeah. that they don't have samples because they're, they're so <laughs> unique in themselves, they can't give you the finished sample of the ceramic or etc. Yeah, I suppose if you can't go and see it, there's the technology available to film it and have somebody holding it and get a sense of the scale. And again, you know, that like Jim was saying, if you've got a good feeling about that person, then yeah, you take a leap of faith and hopefully it's rewarded. <laughs> and I think you also, as long as you explain that to the client, I think that's one of the things I learned early on is, you know, honesty and upfront's a good thing. You know, I think, you know, if you, if you suddenly discover, you know what, I've been telling a wee white, white lie there, you know, that, you know, Nine, nine, ten, out of ten, hundred, you'll get caught. You know, I, I think it's better just say, listen, that's an amazing thing. Sell the story, sell the dream. But I've, I've never seen, seen it, you know, I've not seen it, but I, I think it looks amazing. I think it sounds, you know, so unless they're dishing out a million pounds, if they're dishing out, you know, then, you know, most of the times, again, down to your chat. And, and I think it's a bit like snakes and ladders, you know, every so often your clients, you'll go up, keep going up and up and up. And every so often you go down a wee snake, you know, but the. But most of the times, I think you. Yeah, we we I did a I did a trip to um, Sweden years ago, um, looking at different wood suppliers because they were really really pushing trying to get UK designers to specify Swedish wood products, and we really tried to specify one of these wonderful products for a project we were working on, and we couldn't in the end because they wouldn't send me samples, so I couldn't show the client, mm -hmm. so they lost they lost the job. 
See, if you're Scotland, you've got leaps of faith. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a question at the back there. Thank you very much. It's been really uh, interesting and thanks to Wendy for the invitation. Um, just to say that I'm uh, Patricia Fleming and we have a gallery, my colleague Rona, but the contemporary artists are making exhibitions all the time. So there's a back catalogue of, of artwork there um, and all you have to do is arrange a viewing and um, just to kind of avoid the, the, the dog from Snappy Snaps. But you know, <laughs> how, how do we connect with your interior design? kind of world in order to um, help you inform your clients about contemporary art that would potentially work better in their interiors before they... I've always thought if you, if you show them something where the space is filled, they're less likely to fill it with something that's, you know, not going to be a, their dog. Oh, nothing wrong with dogs. <laughs> no, and it's a lovely dog. Yeah. Um, and actually in that instance, um, had taken a few actual pieces of art to the client's home to try out in that position and they mm. hadn't been quite able to fall in love with something and mm. didn't have, th they felt that they didn't have the time to go and look at lots of different galleries and, and so on. Mm. And, um, and then so just basically nothing happened and then the next time I went there then there was this the, anyway. the Snappy Snaps <laughs> canvas. Um, of, of, but, um, and, there's not, and the thing is, you know, I'm, it's kind of funny, but it's not, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. No, no. And, and I think art is it's extremely, if, if choosing furniture is personal, I think choosing art is probably mm. even, even more so. Yeah, we, we specified lots of art. I have that, I love art. And I've, we've, we've even forced clients into doing galleries within hotel projects and things, you know, some big ones mm. in America to, um, to appreciate art. I mean, hotel, for me, hotels are art galleries in my mind because mm. they're mm. occupied by changing audiences every day of the week, you know, and, and usually the art is very lame and, and, and not very good, you know, so we've been, trying really hard over the years to, to do that. In fact, we did a project in Minnesota, um, in Minneapolis, and, and we are choosing the art, and I, I love John Byrne's art. I was, was a big fan of John Byrne, you know, and, uh, and Prince had Paisley Park Records in, in Minneapolis, so I thought, well, John Byrne's for Paisley, you know, that's quite a good little connection. Always, mm -hmm. The Americans love a story, you know, so basically <laughs> I sold them this idea of this, this artist from, um, so there's 20 pieces of John Byrne sitting in this hotel <laughs> lobby in, in America based on the connection with Prince, and I told this whole story, and they managed to get, and, and, and they love, they love the art. I mean, it, that was the whole point. It's stunning, you know. It's, it's, it's craft is amazing, but one of the pieces I chose is a little bit kind of tongue in cheek. He's got this well-known piece called "Fat American Boy." You know, it's like this. There's this big boy dressed in the stars and stripes. You know, that he's in his shoes. You know, so so took a bit of umbrage with that, if you like. But, uh, <laughs> it was kind of like, why did you choose this? Well, it's just it's a beautiful, and it was a beautifully drawn piece. Um, but but your point about how do you get in, in touch, I mean, I, I do believe in, you know, I, I think when I was a student, I was always like, in my head always says, go and chap a door, you know, at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon, because you know what, people might be in a good mood, you know, and don't chap them at nine o'clock on a Monday morning, because, and, um, and we're actually in the Merchant City, so I, I'm, well, I'm embarrassed, okay. I'm embarrassed that I don't, because I love art, you know, so, um, but I would say, I mean, I, I honestly think half the times people don't chap doors often enough, I think, you know, it's nowadays everyone is internet and you know you find it and source it but um, particularly in Glasgow because it's not a big city you know and mm. there's plenty of designers in Glasgow plenty of people specifying you know yeah, so yeah. Um, I would chap a few doors I think and I'm more than happy to put you in touch with a few people as well you know just oh, that would be great because you bother. know I mean Glasgow's USP you know um, is it, it's creativity and you know it's design it's contemporary art you know it's it's experimental music whatever yeah. you know I think um, our networks all work well together, but I guess people are just busy and we forget, don't we? So well, all the pieces nice I put in that project yeah. in London are all Scottish art pieces, um, every single piece, and commissioned a couple of really big pieces with a young artist called Elliot Killick, who did a couple of stunning portraits um, of a guy who was associated with and did one of himself, and they're like 2.2 like metres high by 2.2 metres squared, you know, wow. I finished them, the last finishing pieces that we touched wasn't quite right, it was in the van driving down from Dundee, you know, to, <laughs> to London. Um, but they are up there and, and they're amazing and, and, and he's, a, he's a brilliant artist. Um, so no, we, we definitely specify lots of art and so support. next week, four o'clock, bar 91. There you go, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Gita from Goy Interiors. Um, so you, you guys are like really experienced and got like many years in the in industry. Just wondering if you still do CBDs? 
you still visit like factories and all like yeah, all that. Absolutely, absolutely. It's essential. You have to keep your skills relevant, and there's new products coming online all the time and things that you need to know about. And so, yeah, absolutely, we do CPDs all the time. We have people come to the studio. We do lunchtime ones. The team all sit around, eat sandwiches, you know, learn about something interesting. Yeah. It's great. That's the fun bit. Yeah, love it. I love factories. Um, I love factories. I just, oh, uh, I w when I was in Ghana, I met a guy in the project who was doing a bit of a fence, a metal fence, and I said, how do you make fences? And, and literally, the traffic's horrendous in Ghana, so we went two and a half hours to this guy's factory. We also made nails, you know, Trust me, I'm not, I'm not that kind of person, <laughs> but if you've never seen how a nail's made, it was like making cloth, it was drums of wire, you know, and I stood for a lot, and the guy was fascinated, the fact that I was fascinated, but it was <laughs> the, pro the process of making a nail and making a fence was, was amazing, you know, um, so, so, so for me, that, that is where it's interesting, you see techniques, production, how something's made, you know, that's part of what you, and I always, I always said that, in my mind, I used to do some lectures on right, the day with students, but I always said, Rather than going working a design office somewhere, why don't you go and work in a shop fitters, a joiners, a glazers, go and find out how things are made, you know, that, you know, you get a design office and you'll probably get dropped in a wee bit and do some stuff and see a bit of that and make a contact, but I always thought it was more fascinating to go and see people doing things, you know, because that, if you understand wood and you understand metal and glass, then you've got half a chance, I think, you know, be nosy. Hi there, Naomi from Crosswater, so I currently work for a supplier. Um, I trained as an interior designer 12 years ago, and, um, I don't know if this is unique to my course, but certainly sourcing was never something we really focused on, and we almost worked kind of detached from industry. Do you find that with graduates that are coming through? And if so, how do you sort of nurture that? Because a lot of what you're talking about is experience and instinct, and how do you sort of imbue that knowledge onto the next generation? It's, it's something that we've been discussing with some of the big design colleges that I'm involved with, and they really struggle with imparting that knowledge, product knowledge and materiality. I think because there's so much they have to cover off in the course that there just isn't time and it's such a huge project, it's such a huge subject and it's a moving target, that's the other thing. So in a way you kind of do need to learn that on the job, I think. What about you Anna, what do you think about that? Well up until recently I was lecturing part-time on the interior design degree course at uh, GSA. Yay! So there's a few people from Glasgow School of Art in the room. <laughs> unsurprisingly since it's just across the road but um, and I think that certainly on that degree course um, we talk about sourcing all the time it's, it's fundamental to the design That's process nice and the hear. studio there there's materials all over the place there's people experimenting with making stuff themselves we've got th they, they have brilliant workshops in the in the new building there and um, um, I think it's shifted I mean I, I, I taught there for nearly 20 years and it shifted from being quite abstract and quite not focused on um, what you could actually get out in the real world. Um, Maybe the school's just ahead of its time. I think the rest of them yeah, are still playing or catch it, up. Or it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is access to information. Mm. Um, that it was really difficult to get information, really difficult to get samples. Um, if you said you were a student, you wouldn't get sent samples. And I think that more and more companies now are realising that actually giving students access to information means that they will become loyal to that brand and to that company when they're out in the workplace. It's also, I think, telling students what you actually do, you know, in, in a job, you know, I think that's probably part of the time for people to understand what your job entails, you know, I think, you know, whether that be sourcing or anything else, because it's certainly not all pretty pictures, you know, I think, the, um, I think as a student you think you're trying to create something that's really just to appeal to, to somebody else. But I used to say to students, if, you're going to, if you think there's a company you want to work with, go and find out what systems are used to draw, find a way of getting in the door, you know, just in a way, something it's like anything, but it's the same, the crossword, I know crossword very well, you know, but, but I was going to throw that same question back to you, if I was a student, phone you up and said, listen, what's the chance of a sample, or what's the chance, you know, I know what the answer would be, you know, not, not by anybody, if you like, you know, and, but you're right, I mean, there's some of the company, I remember meeting the guys at Dal Supo, a rubber company back in 92, you know, and they've and almost mm. completely gone, they have, no, but the guy so that, sorry. the guy that, run it as a friend of mine, he used to say, he's, he's mean, Mantra was he was huge in rubber, you know, he was in a nutcase <laughs> from, from, from Somerset. We used to, I used to judge a competition with him, he was a lunatic, but, the, but he freely used to do these blows, he used to give out exactly on that basis that people would think, you know what, why, why not, you know, and, uh, mm -hmm. and you're right, the, the students are the next, the next generation, but the, um, I also think those students sometimes are coming backwards at coming forwards, I think just as you would be, because I think we're quite a polite nation, I think, to some degree, you know, and, and, um, and I, I would always, you know, when I first was, I was in third year, I think, looking for a job, and I, I kind of chapped the door at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon of one of the Glasgow practices, you know, and, and said, I'm 
guys, can I help you? So, I mean, you always get past the first person, whether it's a guy or a girl in the, in the secretary, and I was like, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm here to see... Um, She's here to see who I said, well, I've got my portfolio. It's a Friday afternoon. Somebody will see me. And this guy happened to walk past him. Mm-hmm. And he was like, eh, so what is it? And I said, he says, actually, we're not taking anything on at the minute. I said, fine. And then a year later, I'm back and chapter door again. And he went, he walked past it. You were the guy that came here last year. I ended up with a mm-hmm. job in there. You know, only, only other job I've ever, ever had, actually, for, um, for three months. And he said, I come and says, listen, i tell you what. Can you give you a job? Can you do CAD? And I couldn't really do CAD. I was like, of course I can do CAD, you know. <laughs> and I literally was going away at lunchtime with a couple of guys who knew did CAD. And, I was, uh, and he said, by you, don't tell anyone how much you're getting paid for this. I was like, cool, you know, um, to get in the door. And very quickly I moved away and, and got a job in Graven because I was never going to be a CAD guy, but there uh, was no more skill set. But I think, you know, chapping doors and all that stuff is important. You're the black guy, not the cat guy. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, I just, I thought it sounds things. No, but you know what, it's <laughs> life's life, you know, and you, people do it in different ways, you know, and um, I think, you know, there's any, any of these things, just find a way. Hi there, I'm Sheena Mason-White from Your Interior Business. Um, what I'm interested in is uh, the legal responsibility if you're sourcing on behalf of a client and it goes tits up to coin your expression. Yeah, yeah. And who is responsible if the client has given you money? We, we had a project recently where um, I sat in a meeting with 30 guys and there was an issue with something. And the guy on the client side, bigger corporate company, immediately in the meeting, you could sense it. He said, listen, guys, we stopped the meeting. Um, I want to know who's paying for this mistake. You know, it's gone to the days when contingency's paid for the mistake. You know, and, and, um, it's interesting, becoming far more legal, I think, with everything we do at the minute, you know, and, uh, whether it be slip resistance or... Any of these things, you know, so I think it's the legalities are, are massive now. Um, it depends on your client, I would say, because there's certainly clients I know who would happily, you know, invest in trying things and, and being brave, you know. The ones that are not so brave, and I think the bigger corporate, not all of them, but some of the bigger corporate companies, you know, um, when you get people in middle management, and I'm not disparaging that, I'm just saying some people, I've, <laughs> se- I've seen it quite a lot of late where someone's saying there's a mistake, somebody's paying for that. One project recently where I know that an architect paid back. 80% of the fee um, because of a mistake had been made, you know. Um. Well, interestingly, why, why I'm saying, why I'm yeah. really asking the question is that one of the interior design schools in London, yeah. um, they actually don't teach um, any sourcing. Yeah. Um, and their idea is that you're an interior architect and you actually go out and you do all the drawings and you, might, you will specify, but you don't do the actual sourcing, so you're never buying anything so that you're not legally responsible. But that's the point I'm saying, being, being brave. You know, I, mean, I, I see it every day, you know, everything I hear, every day I pick up the phone, there's some person phoning you about, have you slipped, have you fell? You know, like, you know, it's, it's everywhere now, you know, and, and that's just an indictment of our society, mm-hmm. I think. You know, and, and you know what, if, if you're gonna sit back and accept that that's the way, you're gonna teach that way that you never, you're not gonna blame culture, you know, you get it wrong, I think, absolutely. But I don't think it's the end of the room, see, there are times you won't get it wrong. You know, I mean, I think that's it. I think the whole point is, as long as you're not being careless or trying not to be careless, you know, um, that's what insurance is for. You know, that's yeah. um, in a way that that. that all our all our insurance, you know, if you professional indemnity insurance, it always says, you know, due care, attention, and diligence. Sometimes, depending on the wording, yeah. and and that's the thing. If you can demonstrate that you've done everything possible to mitigate that situation, but this is what I talk about. You know, the the knowledge that's required by interior designers so that you know that you're specifying something with, for yeah. example, the correct slip resistance. Mm. Um, you know, these, these are sorts of things. And pe- you're right, people are becoming more litigious and nastier and, and, and less willing to kind of understand that in a, a project where you make, make a million decisions, you make one bad decision or one thing goes wrong and suddenly you have to pay for it? But marble, marble is a big contentious issue for me at the moment. We're doing so many projects where we're been to Antil and Elise, you've seen the dream, you know, and, and we've specified that over many years, and some clients say, listen, we accept the fact, I mean, that we tour I did last week at Chicago and New York, every bar that was in, the ones I remember, you know, that they, they had marble and zinc and all these things, you know, and, and they're marked and whatever else, but you know what, they're part of the bigger, the bigger picture, and a number of clients now have said this, now they're not going near marble because it stains, it marks, and you know what, there's, there's some do and some don't, worse than others, but equally, the luster and the quality you get out of that as opposed to something that's not real, if you like, you know, for me, and again, I think it comes down to how you sell something, and I think um, there'll be some there'll be some horrendous mistakes that people people make, but not not intentionally, you know. Um, but it's just the society we're in, and it's a good question actually, because I tell you what, everybody's hit for that at the moment, you know. And it's, um, but particularly if you've specified something, and then it gets value engineered down to a, a, a less 
robust product. Yes. So, you know, unless you've actually explained to your client and you have enough knowledge to explain to your client that the ramifications of making this change are... Yeah, I mean, I, I remember, like, back, back we're going, I'm going to do a back in the olden days. When I was working in um, doing commercial, commercial interiors in, so we're talking about in, like, the 90s, um, there was this huge trend to go to design and build contracts. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it was exactly that. You just provided all the information, all the specification, like down to the last thing. And you handed it over to the design and build contractor who was appointed directly by the client. And then they would have a conversation with the client like, oh, you don't want to use no. that fabric. I found this one. It's just, it's exactly the same. Or, or you, don't, you don't need, you know, you don't need stainless steel. We can just spray it silver. You know, <laughs> you don't need solid oak. We'll just get a bit of MDF and paint it green, you know, like, and suddenly, you know, maybe half a dozen of those kinds of decisions and the, actually the design is completely, completely gone. So if you, if you love design and you love making spaces that make people happy, you have to keep hold of control. And, and there's, there is a price, there's a penalty, and it's it does feel a bit unfair sometimes. I agree completely with you. I think it comes down to the client. I think if you've got a client who and we trust that what you're trying to do is right, you know. Um, yeah, it's a big part of it is about the client relationship. A hundred percent, you know. But I think with the corporate ones, in my mind, there's so many who say, you know what, actually, we're, we're going to take that back. And you think, wait a minute, you'll not, you'll not pay us for all the extra hours we do, you know. You'll not ever tell you every single hour we've done and we've done that. And that, for me, is a big indictment of the industry at the minute that it's one that got off my chest, but, you know, the fact that, you know, designers and architects, you know, they, if you look at lawyers and doctors, you know, and they get paid for every letter, you're right. I mean, you know, the hours, and we're all competing with each other and everybody's undercutting each other, you know, maybe some horrendous examples of people saying, oh, so-and-so's going to do it for, like, and I said, well, let them do it then, because, so I think our, our industry, you know, is, is, is not strong that way, you know, and unfortunately, I think, you know, that, that everybody's undercutting each other, doing free, free pitches, you know, like doing lots of work for nothing, you know, you think, where does that work anywhere, you know what I mean? It doesn't work anywhere, but we just, unfortunately, people that seem to be, accept that we can do or time's free at times, and it shouldn't be, you know, we should value what we do, but if you're scrambling about looking for work, then I dare say you're going to do that, and I think that's when this just gets stronger. Does that feel better? <laughs> Absolutely, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to end it on a positive note. What one piece of advice would you have for designers about sourcing that's going to improve their, their lives? Dether. <laughs> Swither. <laughs> You're struggling. I am struggling. <laughs> <laughs> That's a late. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you to Jim and Anna for sharing your sourcing insights with us. And thank you also to Macintosh at The Willow and Trade at Hassology for hosting us today and to you, our fabulous audience, for being part of this very exciting show. You can find the interior design business on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and on-demand services everywhere. We're on Twitter at InDesignPod and on Instagram and Facebook at Interior Design Business Pod. This episode of the Interior Design Business is a Wildwood and Alfie Media production. <laughs> <laughs>